You've eaten Gotham's wealth, its spirit, but your feast is nearly over. This is not my hole. It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. Why aren't you laughing? From this moment on, none of you are safe. Welcome to the Batman Book Club, a podcast exploring the Dark Knight Library. I'm your host, Ryan Lauer. The Batman Book Club is a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network, hosted by Batman on Film. Just go to batmanonfilm.com, click on podcasts, and you'll find the Batman Podcast Network that has a whole list of other bat-related shows that we all... whole list of other bat-related shows that also love to frolic in other nerdy subjects. I missed, I missed all that up. You know, go to Batman Podcast Network. The Batman Book Club <laughs> is also... On Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash thebatmanbc if you want to help support the show. Now, thank you for listening to episode 122, Dark Knight, A True Batman Story. Now, I am thrilled to have uh, this gentleman joining me for this episode. It's his first time on the show. He's an acclaimed author of uh, books and comics, and he also has released a hit novel just this year called Secret Identity. It is Mr. Alex Segura. Alex, welcome to the Batman Book Club. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. I uh, I geek out about Batman pretty frequently, so this seemed like a good <laughs> good pairing. Yes, absolutely. And um, I I really appreciate you uh, squeezing me into your into your busy schedule. Um, yeah, I was actually um, I appreciate any kind of messages that you know because nobody is ever required to send me a message at all. And you actually did quite a few months ago, and just kind of so that you just found the show and. Um, yeah, it was very, it was very nice and complimentary of the show. And so, um, much appreciated. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah. I mean, I, I love podcasts is just, just talk about the stories, mm-hmm. you know, talk about the, the content and the creators involved. And it just felt like very much in my wheelhouse. So it was, uh, it was fun. I kind of binged on the podcast. So. Oh, nice. Very cool. Uh, before we get into our book of our book of choice today, your book of choice today, I have to ask you, since this is your first time on the show, what is your favorite Batman story? Huh, that's a great question. Um, I think my favorite is Venom, which was a, I think, four or five issue arc in Legends of the Dark Knight written by let the equally legendary Denny O'Neill with art mm-hmm. by Trevor Von Eden, Russ Braun, and Jose Garcia Lopez, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. And um, it's, it's obviously like those early Legends of the Dark Knight stories set during year one. And it's a story of addiction, really, because he deals with Venom, the drug, not Venom, the, the Marvel villain. But it's um, uh, it's it's so well crafted. I, I think it gets ignored because it's just so solid, especially the art. Like it's it's kind of easy to gloss over it. It's not as flashy as some other Batman stories, but it's a really heartfelt thing. And and you when you when you you think about it as it's it's about Bruce Wayne failing and we don't mm-hmm. see that a lot we don't see batman fail a lot and the opening i'm not spoiling anything the opening scene is batman failing to save a young girl's life and that haunts him and he's trying to kind of figure out how to be perfect and mm-hmm. i think it, it really taps into a lot of mental health stuff and addiction and things that you wouldn't normally find i think in a traditional batman story and so it, it holds a special place for me and um in terms of other runs, I, I really love Batman Year One. Uh, I reread that recently, um, and I'm really fond of the Alan Davis, Mike Barr detective run. And for me, the high watermark is the work of Denny O'Neill and Greg mm-hmm. Rucka and, and people like that. Awesome. Yeah, uh, it's crazy to think about that. Those are 
um, maybe around episode 12 of how Tim mm-hmm. Rooney was on and we talked we talked Venom and it's usually spaced out each time that I reread that story so I don't ever fully remember what happens in it yeah and yeah that's like it's a tough read but like for good reasons um it's yeah a, it's and a, there's a lot of father-son issues there I mean you you have the obvious Alfred Bruce dynamic but also characters in the story like there's mm-hmm. a, a super soldier type character who is a very tragic has yeah. a very tragic arc and it's uh it holds up i read it when i was a kid like when it was i think it was in a trade it had just been collected i think 92 around that time uh and i reread it i've reread it since a couple times but, uh, last year i reread it again and it still holds up it's yeah. just one of those great stories that, and you never really you do hear about it but it's never like in anyone's top five and it i think mm-hmm. it should be yeah by the the great incomparable denny o'neill um yeah it's a great book and then again i'm i'm more and more surprised at uh, that i haven't gotten to cover many stories from legends of the dark knight that are oh yeah you know i did it yeah it's a lot of good stuff in there i did a recent i reread a lot of them you know obviously like grant morrison the uh doug mensch paul gulacy stuff you know pray uh pray and and the subsequent sequels but then there's some Mm -hmm. some hidden gems in there um for sure i think that just haven't been collected um yeah lots of really classic stuff in there so i'm not hinting at any future guests but i am being not very subtle uh feel free to pick more stories from legends of the dark knight so anyways that's not the book we're going to talk about today um let's go ahead and dive into dark knight a true batman story Written by Paul Dini, with art from Eduardo Russo. It was released in 2016 in a hardcover. It's been uh, also released in trade paperback. It's available to buy digital. It's available on my favorite app of all time, Hoopla. Um, Alex, for this episode, what version did you read? I read it. I had it. I'd already had. I have the hardcover on my shelf. I read the digital version uh, through, through Comixology. Gotcha. Uh, I still have the one and only copy of the hardcover, um, nice. which was, uh, I wouldn't say, I guess not day one release, but I bought it like within the month that it was first released in 2016, uh, which also happened to be as soon as I read it. When was the first time that you read this story? I read it around the time it came out. Yeah. I wasn't yeah. working at DC at the time. I, I had two stints at DC. I worked there in the publicity department. This was not, this came out after, 2013 which was the last time i was in office but um i knew paul i had you know from doing publicity at dc i worked with him when he did countdown in terms of promoting his work and things like that and obviously when he did um detective comics with dustin Nguyen and um streets of gotham which was another long one he did with dustin and it was kind of you know they were back to back but um yeah i I bought it when it came out okay uh we've been exchanging emails for a little while now yeah and is it hidden that you worked at DC or is it out there? How did I not not mention? Yeah, no, no. I, um, (laughs) I worked at DC from 2006 to about 2009 first as a publicity manager working on the DCU stuff. Um, and then I hopped over to Archie and then I hopped back to DC for almost two years right before they moved to Burbank. And, um, I I needed to stay in New York, so I didn't make the move. But at that point I was uh, the head of, PR publicity publishing publicity for the mm-hmm. DCU stuff well for everything for head of publishing publicity basically wow that's a, I, okay um yeah so yeah DC was very much you, DC you know? was very much my work 
comics home for a long time and so was archie in many ways yeah that's awesome okay um follow-up questions in the in the future but let's like i gotta stay on track now Um, yeah out of all the batman stories available uh why dark knight a true batman story I think Venom was the first one I threw at you, but you guys had done it. So I'm, I'm not complaining, but I am saying that I didn't, I didn't sure. betray, I didn't betray my top <laughs> choice. Um, I love this story. And I also think this one's really underrated. I don't see it come up a lot in best Batman story lists. Not that those are the bellwether for what is actually good, but um, I love how meta it is. I love mm-hmm. how it's a Batman vertigo book. I think it's probably the only Batman vertigo book. I like that. It's part memoir. It's part history, pop culture history of Batman, the animated series, which to me is like in terms of non-comics media, the high watermark for Batman, like those, cl- those cartoons, really captured the essence of all the characters you know and introduced so many important characters to the mythos like harley Mm -hmm. quinn uh renee montoya um and also it was just an i love those kind of under the hood type stories like secret identity is a novel about comics in the 70s and it, it does give you a peek at what it was probably like to work in comics in the 70s and i'm a big fan of just like behind the curtain type stories and Mm -hmm. i love um I love Paul's story because it's so personal and raw and he tells it so well through the filter of these characters. Like, you know, it's, it's really, it's got everything. It's got all the things I like in stories and it's, he's, he crafts it so well. I was thinking about it before we hopped on just now. Um, He does this thing that I wish more writers would do is that he really knows how to drill down into what the story should be. Like there's Mm -hmm. a moment in the book when he literally says, Hey, I'm not here to tell you, my complete life story. I'm not here to tell you a complete history of Batman, the animated series. I'm not here to tell you a complete history of Batman. I'm going to tell you the story that matters with some context and dressing. And you can, if you want to learn more, you can, but this is a story and it's a very finite arc. And I appreciated that as a writer in terms of craft, because I think a lot of us sometimes fall into the trap that we have to be comprehensive Mm -hmm. because we are playing in this space. And you really don't because people that are reading this know Batman, You probably know Batman, the animated series. You probably know enough about Paul to care. Um, And so that was impressive to me. And it just, it just feels like such a fun meta story that you don't really get as much. I think the Mm -hmm. closest thing I could think of is um, Neil Gaiman and Andy Kubert's whatever happened to the Cape Crusader. And that does not have the personal aspect. Like you don't see Neil show up, but it is very kind of wink, wink, in terms mm-hmm. of like, oh, here's Catwoman from the Bronze Age, and yeah. here's you know, here's the Joker, but it's not the Joker we know now. It's and so it was interesting. It's just really, I enjoyed it. I like we were saying before we hopped on. Um, I read it a few days ago again, and it holds up really well. And mm-hmm. it's it's the humanity I think that really speaks to me. Just that he can be so, um, so naked in how he discusses his his flaws and his struggles and. You know, very relatable, I think. Um, I guess maybe in the same way that I really like Venom. I think Venom as a story is very relatable. You know, as costumes aside, superheroes aside, like uh, bioengineered uh, strength-enhancing drugs aside, Venom is a very personal story. And so this was a very personal story. And I think it's a, you know, it's a story about trauma. It's a story about... Um, you know, seeking help when you need it and, and finding your, your true self. I think that's all really relatable stuff. Absolutely. Um, I don't know how much more I can add that you didn't, you know, throw in there and like a strength. I think something for me upon first reading, I don't know what I was fully expecting, but it, it I didn't expect any of it at the same time. It yeah. was very, it was very surprising. Like you said, 
you know, um, I think it's it's complimentary to Dini that he can, you know, be so brave in showing everything, telling everything, you know, because it's not it's not like there. I mean, there are moments in the story that he admits about himself at the time that it is like, no, we all have moments that we want to kind of keep from everybody because like I'm not yeah. really proud of myself at, for making this decision, looking this way, acting this way, saying this or whatever. And like he just shows everything warts and all. Um, and then I think that the art actually, I think this is like such a strong outing. I'm, I'm familiar with Russo's work that he's done with Brian Azzarello, um, a lot. I think, I don't know if Azzarello was the, it's called Moonshine. It's like a werewolf series. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, was Azzarello the writer of that? Yeah. That's okay. a, their image book together. And, uh, yeah. I mean, Russo hundred bullets is a fantastic crime series mm-hmm. and he's, he's a big reason for that. Um, and I, he did that broken city arc with, with Azzarello, yeah. um, that you know had to follow Jim Jim Lee and and Jeff Loeb's Hush, which was probably oh challenging for them. But <laughs> you know it's it's such a great yeah. little noir Batman story. Like you go big budget like video game mega crossover, yes. not crossover, but big like kind of mainstream event to something very personal and and quiet and nuanced with Broken City. Um, I I love it. I think it's a great story. But Riso's art on this story. I don't want to say levels up because I always feel like that sounds like mm-hmm. a criticism, but he definitely tonally changes it. Yes. So it doesn't feel like, oh, he's just drawing it the way he did it before. Like he, he does this thing that I noticed while I was reading it, that he draws the rogues, the Batman rogues, unlike they've appeared anywhere else. Like Joker, mm-hmm. he doesn't draw like the Batman, the animated series Joker. And he doesn't draw like, I guess the contemporary, like Tony Daniel or Greg Capullo version of the Joker that was coming out at the time. And he doesn't draw the penguin, in the Danny DeVito style or the animated style or the <laughs> yeah. more comic booky style, he draw like they all look very unique. Like they are almost like in their mm-hmm. own continuity, which I found found really fascinating. Um, even Scarecrow, I'd never seen Scarecrow with those kind of needle fingers before. Um, I was, was going yeah. that was going to end up becoming a question, and you might as well because we're talking about it now. Do you have like a standout version of his of villains that he drew? to you like oh i really like this um i thought his joker looked very evocative of what the joker should be but also modern like maybe it was just Mm -hmm. something as as simple as the haircut um i really liked his poison ivy which if you notice she evolves like every time she appears she shows she's different and i think that was really smart and i think i don't know if that was a note from paul or if eduardo just figured that that's the way she would be i think that's really accurate um I thought the penguin was, I thought they were all really creepy and well done. Uh, Two-Face was the only one that I felt like really hewed to the traditional look, which was fine. Yeah. Like it's hard to mess with that. So yeah. Uh, this scarecrow really stood out to me. I'm a scarecrow fan. I love scarecrow. Yeah. The, the hand um, coming out of the curtain and then you see him. Very Freddy Krueger. Yes, exactly. And I actually just watched uh, the super friends episode, the fear recently, mm-hmm. which was like the, um, the first time outside of comics that we saw the, the Wayne's uh, murder. Um, it was oh, in the interesting. 80s. Yeah. And uh, funny enough, the story was by Alan Burnett casting from huh. Andrea Romano. Hmm. How yeah. about that? Wow. Yeah. Um, but the scarecrow, all of his henchmen were, uh, were dressed kind of like, looked kind of like this. Um, oh yeah. Maybe movie? it was a nod to that. Yeah. Like, probably. I don't know. Maybe. Have you seen the movie trick or treat? No. No, okay. There's a their their icon for that is Sam, and it's a sackhead in like an orange onesie. 
And I saw. Oh, okay, yeah. Looks like that cartoon, which reminds me of the Scarecrow. It's all connected, all over the place. And Warner Brothers owns Trick or Treat, so there you go. Yeah, <laughs> it's all yeah, under the yeah. Maybe there's Warner some synergy Trick. there. A little um, bit. I don't know, Paul. You know, I mean, I I know Paul. We've interacted before, but not we're not like super best pals. But I, I he strikes me as the kind of person that is into fandom obviously like he talks about it in the book you know he talks about his passion for sure. cartoons so it seems like the kind of thing that he would be dropping references about like Maybe. what versions to draw and <laughs> Riso is such a he, he can draw anything you know he draws everything so well so he and he really i think this is one of the best books he's ever drawn fully agree he he definitely has art that stands out of like oh yeah that's the class i'm sorry is it i keep saying russo is it russo it's Riso, yeah Riso. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's definitely panels that look like, oh yeah, that's Eduardo Riso. And then there are some that it's like, wow, this is because maybe it's because of the coloring and like the, it looks a little painted-ish coloring or something that helps it really stand out that makes it look yeah, a and, different. Uh, am I, I like. blanking on who did the colors? Like uh um now I feel like moving fast, moving fast. Yeah, you've uh, got the book in your hand. Letter Todd Klein. Um, it just says I, I think Riso did the colors, color yeah, 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 which is kind of amazing because he's not really known as a colorist. Um, I think Trish Mulville did most of his colors on Hundred Bullets, but yeah, he did a great job. Mm -hmm. uh, I think he he pivoted from his traditional like Riso style to doing like sort of animated. Like Batman also changes visually every time mm -hmm. we see him. Like sometimes he looks like Broken City Batman, other times he looks more like animated Batman, and it's really yeah. like. And when Paul in the story, you know, Paul is the narrator of his story and we see him kind of pinning up the white, you know, the the board, the writer's board, um, the writer's room board where you see different iterations or storyboarding the, the, the graphic novel. And those are drawn. You see like partial drawings by Eduardo, which is interesting or painted or like it's really it's, it's it works on so many levels. That's kind of why I wanted to talk about it, because um, it's just fascinating from yeah. like these two really like pros like masters of the genre mm -hmm. and of other genres like animation kind of jamming together um it's it reminds me a little bit too of batman creature of the night which was a kurt Busaic story yeah. um john paul Leon, and also superman secret identity which are like winking and knowing stories that play in what we know about these characters but do it a little bit differently so i find i find stuff like that really interesting mm-hmm and I'm embarrassed that I don't know why I, where this you in Eduardo's name even came from in his Bro, last okay. name because I'm looking everywhere and I'm like, how did I even write down the you? And I've been saying like Russo all these years. There's no you in his last name. But anyway, it's funny. It's like I've something learned. you experience in comics because <laughs> for a long time, we're all reading these names and we don't talk about them with other people. So when you start saying them out loud, you're like, well, how do I say this name? Like it's, yeah. it's happened to everybody like, you know, like Sinkevich, like. You know, you probably yeah. sounded it out differently or oh, I said it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I said it wrong all the time. Uh, so let's let's talk then about the story in of itself. So mm -hmm. this was definitely sold in the sense of Paul Dini was attacked in the early 90s um, and it it scarred him physically and emotionally. Mm -hmm. That's about as much as I knew. And so then it was, uh, you know, uh, approaching the story. I'm like, OK, well, Batman and Joker are are on the cover of this. So how does this relate to, to what's going on in the story? And then I think this is such a strong case. And of course there's all sorts of varieties. This is a, another right. strong case for uh, the comic book mediums, like expansiveness, if you will, of mm -hmm. you can do anything in comic books. And I think what Dini did here is pretty like, and I'm not trying to oversell it of like, is incredible of, yeah how he incorporated this, these Batman characters into 
you know, as you're discovering of like, wait, like the first time that somebody pops up, I think is Bruce Wayne while he's out to dinner with his actress friend, mm-hmm. uh, quote unquote, girlfriend. Um, right. It's Bruce Wayne. And then Poison Ivy shows up and the Joker shows up and you're like, wait, what is going on? And then you kind of discover in which, hey, this is just how I took it. Anybody can, you know, however you want, it's interpretive. But I'm like, oh, that's like the dueling voices you have in your head. He assigned certain voices to certain characters that he was working on at the time it's like yeah the, i think he was just fighting we have in our head he has and that's what these characters are and i was like oh my god that's brilliant yeah he does a great job of kind of laying setting the table he's like you know i'm thinking of these characters all the time and that opens the door to them actually popping in and interacting with him and i thought that was such a cool motif because you know i think if handled by someone else or not someone not as seasoned as Paul Dini, like it would have seemed like, oh, he's he's crazy, like he's having these hallucinations. But I never read it that way. I never read it like, oh, he's hallucinating. It's more yeah. like he's working out these issues by bouncing them off characters that are part of his mind. Like he mm-hmm. thinks about Batman all the time. He thinks about Joker all the time, literally for work. Um, and he's using those characters as a tool to tell this story of trauma and recovery and you know, and something we were talking about earlier about, you know, warts and all, um, yeah. we live in this era now and pro- and still did then and did then um, where everything we put out there is curated, you know, mm-hmm. your Facebook feed, your Instagram, your Twitter, your um, it's all your best self. And he mm-hmm. took his worst moment and his worst experiences and put it out there in a raw, like unflinching way. Yeah. Um, I'm just still baffled that this book doesn't make like. You know, that is not it's not as beloved as I think it should be, because it's definitely in my top 10 Batman books with, you know, and it just feels like so unique. Like there's not a lot of books like this. No, not at all. I I, I have not read every single comic book that exists, but yeah. I can't think of another one that, you know, is even in the same kind of realm, really. Um, yeah, it, no, I, I think it's it's yeah, it's a memoir through the filter of Batman and his rogues mm-hmm. gallery. But it's so much it's really a personal story. It's about his this struggle he was having because and it's it doesn't have a bow on not to spoil it because you want mm-hmm. people to read it, but it doesn't end with a nice little ribbon around it. Like he says, you know, I got better and, and I met you know, you know my wife and I continued to work in comics, but he's not like I'm I'm great now and everything's perfect. You know, it's it's like that's life and there's gray areas yeah. and there's like bumps in the road. And um, I thought that was the most true part of it that, you know, it's it's a snapshot of a moment. Sorry, mm-hmm. I live no, right next okay. to a really loud street. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's what really like resonated with me. Like, it's like the struggle continues in many ways, but not maybe not as badly as he struggled before. But he worked mm-hmm. on himself, and then that that I thought that was a great message that hopefully people can pull away from it. Like, and I think a big part that takes takes up the you know the back half of the book. So I think one, it's it's very patient in working up to the incident which i've read comic book stories that are very violent that have left Mm -hmm. nothing to the imagination before this was not as brutal as those but almost like let's as big of an impact if not more it's very very effective and it's not something i'm i when i read this book i rush to hurry up and get to that's funny you bring that up. I was talking to uh, another crime writer, Sean Cosby, who wrote Blacktop Wasteland and Razorblade Tears, and he's having a moment. He, you know, he writes these really visceral but literary crime novels, and we were talking about violence. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, violence is a tool to push your story forward, but violence is scary. Violence mm -hmm. is terrifying. It should not be something. If you're numb to violence, if you're reading a book and you're kind of numb to the violence, and I feel like the writer has failed you. And so I think maybe really plot focused people would say, well, you got to start with the scene. You got to pay off what the back cover copy tells you. But Dini does this really well, slow burn where you're like, you're halfway through the book and you're like, when's it going to happen? Like, what's yeah. going to happen? Because, um, you know, he ups the tension and you're, you're, mm -hmm. and also some readers probably forget about you know i'm not a back cover copy reader i actually hate doing that because then it starts to tell me i start to expect things or i start to have a preconceived notion of what the book is and i like to dive into a book and kind of know what it's about like based on my own experience or what i've seen or the cover or whatever uh, or what i've read about it and then just dive in almost as blindly as possible because then i can kind of create my own perception of what did i like what did i not like not oh this didn't mm -hmm. meet the expectations of like the back cover copy. But um, my point being is he does a good job of like letting the reader immerse themselves in the world. And then he literally wallops you with this scene that is the linchpin of the, the whole book, but it's also like really jarring, like he handles yeah. the violence really well. And you have this artist Riso who cut his teeth doing crime comics, not cut his teeth, but you know, he's such a veteran, you know, is known for drawing these visceral, violent crime scenes. Yeah. And he nails it. Like the, the camera angles, like the blood, it's gratuitous. It's not, never feels gratuitous. It just feels like traumatizing, which it mm -hmm. was. So. Definitely. And I think the one that always gets me the most is in which it's, it, I think it was Neil Adams. Um, and I forget which issue it is. It's the mm -hmm. one with the um, with like the Grim Reaper in the scythe with Robin um, up. Uh, I covered is that it the on first. Is that the first year. Denny and Neil issue? Like, oh man, I am. I'm. I'm. <laughs> oh no, no, yeah, I know. I know what you're talking. About. You know which yeah, one? I'm, know okay, number. yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm blanking right now. Which one? But I, I remember reading in an interview that he'd mentioned of like drawing, like what you're drawing is like three seconds before the action takes place. Yeah. And that's really effective. And so I'm looking like right now and the stomp on his on Dini's leg. I think yeah. that is always the one that makes me cringe like the most. Yeah, because you can hear the it. bone cracking almost. Yeah. But there and, and there's uh, something imagining where it happens, and it's just it's by far like the most effective every time that I read this too. And yeah, and like, I think oh it, it all God. goes back to it goes, I'm sorry to interrupt you. It goes no, back you're to fine. you don't have to spell everything out. You don't mm -hmm. have to show the knife going into the arm or the the boot hitting the the bone and breaking it like just looking at his eyes reacting to what's happening to his own body is even more haunting and that's like suspense that's suspense mm -hmm. and that's cinematography and that's that's i think what riso brings to it and i'm sure um paul dini had a lot of input on the camera angles and his script was very cinematic too because that's his background but mm -hmm. it's a really great pairing and i hope that we see them work together again yeah batman 237 night of the reaper Yes, yes, there you go. <laughs> we are beyond that point, but, you know, yeah. let's circle back, okay? Uh, so, I mean, everything leading up to this, I wouldn't say is irrelevant. It really just sets up really quick of of his life, where he's at professionally, where he is, you know, or I guess isn't romantically. Um, the impressions of the people closest to him on mm -hmm. on these different um, these different places, like where he's at in his life, to where, I don't know, you, of course, I bring to the, the I already have a preconceived notion of Paul Dini when reading this book. Right. Uh, nothing I've ever read or seen from the guy says that I would not like him. 
and then on top of it, he has done such great service to my favorite character of all time, Batman, as well mm-hmm. as some other like he's touched uh, other worlds that I also really like, which right. I was I was a little one um, at this the time that this takes place where I was a massive fan of Tiny Toons. I yeah, loved Tiny Toons and that video game, which we get a little panel of, which I thought was brilliant, too. Oh, I yeah, that was that. cool. All the little Easter eggs were really fun. Yeah, they were they were awesome. And yeah, that that I remember playing. That was one of my favorite regular Nintendo system games was the Tiny Toons. Always going mm-hmm. to rent it from at the, the video store downtown. Irrelevant oh, yeah. to the conversation, but a lot of points that they included that in this one. So. I mean, I guess where do we want to go with? I mean, with the story itself, because a lot of it is, I feel like there is a massive challenge on Riso's uh, part of illustrating this, when I think a lot of this is about, is internal conflict for Dini. It's also a lot of people talking, like, you Mm -hmm. know, and Riso is a master of giving you know making things making the mundane day-to-day stuff feel really active like mm-hmm. 100 bullets is an action and crime story but it's also there's a lot of talking there's a lot of scene setting and negotiating and there's murder and killing and shooting and things like that but it's very much character driven and i think this is it's a story of someone who worked at an animation studio and was attacked and so the attack itself is the big action scene but the rest is not action you know, there's mm-hmm. not a lot of punching and, you know, it's a lot of conversations and setting up tension. And, you know, he has this the great benefit of using the Batman characters and, and things like that. But he does a great job of keeping you reading, even though the action is that one moment. Yeah. And I, I think it gets me the most in how I get so invested in. In the story is because I think a major, you know, the internal conflict that he's having in this back half of the story is. Uh, in which some you know the the voice he's telling himself of like you're feeling sorry for yourself Mm -hmm. but then he's also justified in like i am down right now and like acknowledging the fact that he's down at a really low point right now and i think that that's extremely relatable because at some point i think all of us probably have some situation where it is like like you're down too and it's you know what it's okay if you're down like this isn't your day it's just not your day and that's okay to acknowledge that at some point you can't just continue to use that excuse though and i don't think many of us are ready to have that person like be up front to say all right time to get up like you need to get going now as batman effectively does in the story yeah, I, I do like how he uses the fictional characters to kind of call him out on his lack of self-awareness on some things. Like, you know, he's very aware when he's feeling bad and he you know he feels sorry for himself, which I think a lot of people do. But then there's also moments where he's not being fair to the people around him. And mm-hmm. like Poison Ivy calls him out and says, what did you expect? Like, what yeah. do, you, do you expect from this woman? She doesn't owe you anything. Like, she was not lying to you. Like, you kind of see him create this narrative that, you know, the women have misled him. And it's really not because it was all written there. Like no one, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I forget the name of the character, but she never said she was his girlfriend. She never Vivian? said uh, Val. Yeah, some yeah, V name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, she never misleads him. But in his narrative, the character's narrative, he's been misled and it's unfair mm-hmm. and woe is me. And I think that's that's really good writing because, you know, he sees both sides of it. And so the reader then sees both sides of it and kind of sees, OK, 
you know, the Paul in this book is a flawed narrator. So I'm mm-hmm. not the character, not the narrator Paul himself, sure. but like the the sub, you know, the the flashback Paul is a, a flawed. You're getting a flawed perspective, which I think is really fascinating. Yeah, because when that's even said too, you can kind of you could be like, you know, you could question Ivy at that point in saying that. So then you can flip mm-hmm. back and revisit those moments that include that character, and it is, well, actually, that's true. You know, okay. It was just mm-hmm. his perspective, but now you have like a, you know, objective look into things and it's, it's, it's very, um, I don't know, very fair to tell him, to tell him that. Yeah. And so, uh, again, that's brave on Dini's part. I think it's really brave. <laughs> and I think it's, you know, you're, you're putting yourself out there and you're also saying that even back, you know, back then your perspective was wrong. Like the way mm-hmm. you behaved was wrong and maybe the way you perceived your relationships was wrong. And that takes a lot of self-awareness and I'm sure, you know, a lot of work. Mm -hmm. I I do appreciate the inclusion of uh, when he returns to the WB and, you know, and he says, I was nervous to see what kind of reaction I'd get from my coworkers. And then you see a thought bubble or a, a dialogue bubble that says, hold the elevator, please. And then he says, both real and imagined. And it's Batgirl in the elevator. And she says, so I heard you got beat up. And he says, yeah, kind of. She goes, yikes. And then she walks away and she says, I've had worse. Feel better. Yeah. That's pretty impactful as well. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I think I think there's so much. I think this is the kind of book that just has so many layers that you just kind of you want to read numerous times, like not just the Easter eggs, but just his little nods to Mm -hmm. I don't want to say continuity, but like past stories and what's been done with the characters. Like he clearly has a perspective on how these characters should be written or should exist. And I, I find that really interesting um, because like, you know, Dini, Burnett, Bruce, Tim, like they, they didn't create these characters, but they set the stage for the most iconic versions of them in many ways, like at least outside yeah. of comics, but the most consistent versions, like, you know, those, you know, they've been replayed and reworked in different ways, but I think what they captured was the essence of those characters. Mm -hmm. My point being is that Paul knows these characters really well. Yeah. And I think what strikes me and how it becomes so relatable to everybody is, you know, I mean, it just depends on the day, but yeah, it's like, Oh, I'm really down today. And it's like somebody out there has it worse than you do. Mm -hmm. And that's supposed to be like the, the pick me up sort of, you know, of so you know, I mean, it's cliche. We can get back on the horse because somebody's got it worse than you, and they're or yeah, or just be grateful for what horse. you have. You know, yeah. he and then a lot of times Paul talks about all the things he has that are you know he's somewhat thankful for, and mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the message there. Like, you know, you had it bad, you had a bad moment, it sucked, but mm-hmm. you know, you have a lot of good too. So, and I think he realizes that. Not to give away too much of the plot, but you know, he has a moment of realization, especially when he interacts with that record store employee who, yeah his wife is suffering from cancer and they, they got so much out of watching, I think it's tiny tunes and just got a laugh. It just lightened their really dark days. And that's when he realizes, Oh, I have impact on these people. My stories have matter. Cause earlier on in the book, he's like, well, I'm just writing Batman or I'm just writing cartoons. Nobody cares, but that's not true. Like people do care. And those stories have so much power over, over people. And I think that realization mm-hmm. kind of opened the door for him to, to step forward and say, you know, I have a great life and I should appreciate it. And um, I need to move past this and, and do really savor this opportunity. Mm-hmm. The, when Batman later, well, it's perfect in which characters he uses at times. Cause 
the Joker is there to completely pat him on the back of you should definitely take more time for yourself. Yeah, don't Watch work. Movies. Yeah. Don't work. Play video games, all of that. And then Batman he's literally the in. devil on his shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> he is. Yeah. And then Batman just takes him out of the out of the story with a, a you know, a massive left punch. And then he is the you know, he is. I don't even know. You want to say the strong motivator to tell him, but then he does hold up a Super Nintendo controller and says, "Wasting your time with this trash." And I'm like, "Hold on, Batman." Yeah, I, I mean, he's Super an Nintendo ex- also. Yeah, and I love he's like an Super extreme. Extre- <laughs> he's definitely not the angel, but he's a very extreme version of like, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and stop complaining yeah. and, and all that. And so I think Paul hopefully found some middle ground where mm-hmm. he can enjoy the things that his work has brought him, but also doesn't use them as an escape from real life, which I think is kind of the heart of the story. Yeah. And I do think that appropriately. So Batman is used as basically that's, that's his strongest opposition to get him over the hump. Mm -hmm. Like this is like the peak moment where, you know, of like, you're going to either continue down this path or you're going to change it. Right. Based on confronting Batman in this story. And that's so, that's almost like so poetic in using uh, Batman to be the moment for that because I mean on a variety of levels but I just thoroughly love that when I go back and revisit this the Batman's the one that does gives him I guess, I guess like the biggest lesson and the biggest hurdle yeah I think he gives him some clarity I think mm-hmm. you know when when you're dealing with trauma or you're dealing with some kind of our instinct sometimes is you want to feel bad for yourself and I don't want to minimize anyone's trauma. And we've all gone through different things at different times, but I think, yeah, the use of Batman as the plot point that pulls him out, doesn't pull Mm -hmm. him out and cure him or make him better, but wakes him up and has him realize that, okay, I have been feeling bad for myself. And while I have experienced this, a lot of people have things that are a lot worse and I have a lot to be thankful for. And I'm going to try and work on myself as opposed Mm -hmm. to, I'm just going to isolate, and not return people's calls, not work, and just kind of hide. Um, I think that's really impactful and a great emotional beat. Mm-hmm. And I think, so you mentioned like clarity, and I think it does just roll after he has like that moment because it's not like instant either with Batman. There's like, you know, like it's clashing for quite a few pages yeah. until he until he gets to that moment. Uh but then you start to see things swing in their way and the uh what do you um how i guess like the feeling of him pitching the story that can't yeah. work for the animated series at the time and alan burnett in the story even says but uh i don't know th- like there's that's a moment for him as well that just felt good for him cuz he felt excitement for something again he's starting to get motivated and then as he tells in like the confiding in the the therapist at the end of all of it of of that whole idea of kind of you know um poor that me just kind of comes full circle yeah yeah poor me but all you know why does it matter well it matters to me and there's like something to learn from that and learning to kind of balance that in in what I like I was saying of this whole back half of the story is of questioning of like I feel down should I continue to feel down do I need to get up and start doing something um I, I mean just it's think, about depression it's depression yeah. you know it's like that's a big part of he's he's depressed because he's had this traumatic experience and like you know 
I guess on in some ways, in another writer's hands, it would have seemed trite to sure. tr- use these characters to deal with real world mental, someone's real world mental health issue or, you know, post-traumatic feelings. But Dini does it so well and he doesn't empower the characters to solve it for him. They just kind of get him to think about it. And he's the one that decides I'm going to deal with this myself and I'm going to be mm-hmm. proactive in how I deal with this trauma I faced. And again, at the ending, it's not, it's not resolved in a happy fairy tale way. Like he's still dealing with whatever he's dealing with. And he's like, you know, my life goes on and this is how I've kind of dealt with certain problems, but I also, you know, I'm not a perfect person. And I think that's valuable. Definitely. And, and I mean, at the end we see who he's, you know, telling the story to, Mm -hmm. which I think is also great. And yeah. And (laughs) You just feel this connection as we all do with Paul Dini and with Harley Quinn at the very end. And it's such yeah. a like it's a fun uh relationship between the two. Uh and, and rightfully so if you know anything, because obviously Paul Dini's a, a co-creator of Harley Quinn. So it mm-hmm. only makes sense. But um in which relating to that, I do I don't know, I love the friendship that it shows through of Arlene Sorkin. Yeah. In the story. She's like uh, the voice of reason. Yes. And that's like, that's, I don't know. It's one of those like, Oh, that's a, that's a character to root for in a story. I know it's based on real life too, but um, I don't know. You can, you can see, I think you can see the admiration for a friend there and how the portrayal of her is, uh, I don't know. It's, it's very good. Puts her in such a positive light and like a good reliable friend. And um, I like that. I was trying to think if there was something else that I hadn't brought up yet. Is there anything that we haven't yeah. brought up yet? Talk no, about? I like I like that she. The best thing you can say about that character is that she sticks out, sticks with him even during his darkest time. And we would all be lucky to kind of have friends like that. And I'm sure mm-hmm. we've all had experiences where we're at our own kind of personal bottoms, and and f- certain friends stick stick with us and kind mm-hmm. of help us. And I think that was really relatable. Um, what else stuck out for me? Um, you know, and I, I like how compact the book is. It doesn't have to be like a 10 issue series or it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be like even six issues. I think it's what, like 80 pages total, like maybe less than that. But so uh, I think the books is 128. Okay. So it feels really tight. Every I never yeah. felt like I was like bored. And that's mm-hmm. obviously because they're all great. Like Todd Klein, one of the best letters ever. Um, it never, it felt very polished and capable and just really great top to bottom. I never felt bored. I never felt like, oh, I, I can skip over this scene. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought it was really great, a great uh, example of the craft. He does say in in one panel when he talks about um, the creation of Batman, the animated series, or, you know, the behind the, the scenes stories, and maybe that, you know, maybe there's a good comic book to come of that and it's like oh please mm-hmm. please do it <laughs> creating batman the animated series the comic oh books. yeah no i That'd when he awesome. said that i was like i'd love to read that <laughs> i mean i have the book it's like the history not the history but kind of the behind the scenes Batman animated that, yeah it's out of print i, have looked I, I think i bought it on ever. ebay yeah yeah i think it's i so spent, spent way too much on it on ebay but it was worth it because it's such a cool look but um I, I think should re-release Glenn, that. <laughs> yeah, they should re-release that. And uh, Glenn Weldon's book, The Cape Crusade, which is kind mm-hmm. of a pop culture history of Batman, has a nice chunk on the animated series. But when I read that, I was like, wow, I really wish this was just a whole book onto its unto itself because mm-hmm. um, there's so much ground to cover. Yeah. And I feel I don't know how that that doesn't, you know, make money. 
create that comic. Uh, you know, I, I, I think anybody listening would. Oh my gosh, would buy that. Make it happen, somebody. Yes, please. Whoever's You've listening, got two to this. two purchases already <laughs> locked in. So what more yep. do you need? That's it. That's it. Yeah. Um, let's get to some favorites. Sure. Um, do you have a favorite part of this story? Do I have a favorite part of this story? Yeah, I think there's a really intense moment towards the end of the book. He's like waiting for surgery, facial reconstruction surgery, and he's talking to Poison Ivy and she taps him on the chin and she's like, oh, that healed well. And you get a flashback that contextualizes everything, really. You get a fl- I don't want to spoil it. I mean, this is not really a spoilery kind of story. Like, it's a story. No. You're going to feel it. And even if you know what's going to happen, it's all about the journey. Um but he flashes back to another moment of rejection with another woman and mm-hmm. he basically harms himself. And it's, it's, you kind of get an insight into a lot of the other trauma he's dealing with. And just like, there's a lot of work to be done. So it's not just a singular mugging and the after effects. It's like, it's a really a, a story about his own help, like seeking yeah. help, like need of help, you know, cause he's dealing with all this stuff. And I thought it was handled so subtly and so it was so intense in how he crafted it like poison ivy is like this memorable you, you know to run your your trauma through the batman characters is mm-hmm. is could have been gone so many different ways but he handles it with such care and insight that i thought that that scene really sticks with me that's a good point yeah that was that was a, a shocking upon first read and i feel yeah. like i totally remember that and rereading it again for this conversation either i wasn't like oh yeah i remember that part it was like, mm-hmm. oh shit i forgot yeah that happens i'd forgotten uh, it yeah but it, it changes how you read the whole book mm-hmm. the my favorite part is batman coming in left hook on joker yeah because i fun. do i do have respect for the people that are in our lives that you know they're on your side but they will be there to help even if there's going to be some opposition Yeah, of they, they know that they got to help you get back up on the horse, even though that you don't necessarily want to. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, and I do, I think that that is a, you know, that that's a a pivot for the the rest of the story after Batman's entrance. So I think I I really like that because I do believe that this, the dialogue going back and forth is very relatable to most people as well. So I think that, I don't know. I just think that's a really powerful part of the story. Mm -hmm. How about a favorite? panel a favorite panel um hmm. sorry to kind of hem and haw i'm trying to find the right one there's um there's a moment where he's in the hospital after surgery and his sister brings in uh what's the character's name ivory mm -hmm. who's i guess kind of like a stand-in for woody woodpecker um unless he's a real character i wasn't sure I never heard of him before. I meant to look. I think he's. I up. think he's a wink, wink, Woody Woodpecker character. Um, but there's a moment where the character and him are going back and forth, and he just said, "I forget what Paul says, but he says something really sad, like I don't want to hear from you, or I don't believe in you anymore." Mm-hmm. And then the, the panel I'm thinking of is where the kind of animated toy is now back to being a toy, and it's just mm-hmm. on the ground, like he's been knocked over, and it, it felt very much like. He'd given up his childhood and had had moved past these things because he was sad, and that really I felt was really heartfelt. Yeah, and tragic. Like what a bummer 
to lose mm-hmm. the wonder of like your childhood. Yeah, and I just typed it into Google, and Google showed no results except for this story. So yeah, I, so I, I, I think do think it's like no, yeah, that's how I took it. Like, and right after that panel is the uh, Tiny Toons uh, video game. Yeah. Panel. So how about that? Uh, mine, which maybe this would be a lot of people's. It's the the Batman sixty six full page. Oh yeah, that was um, neat. That was cool. I think I think it's a great image. It's colored, you know, differently than. Riso's usual stuff. Um, yeah, it's just a standout, and I think it's very, very cool. I mean, Batman 66 mm-hmm. encapsulated. Yeah. In one image. It's perfect. Yeah. I love the Joker visor domino mask. Yeah. <laughs> Would you like to see this story uh, adapted in animation? You know, I think this is just the kind of story that makes for a great graphic novel. I don't think I need mm-hmm. to see it as an animated movie or. Uh, maybe as a feature or I don't know. Yeah. I, I think it's good for what it is. Like, and that's not a criticism. I just think some books are, are what they are or some movies are movies and some books are books and that, you know, not everything has to be adapted in every medium. Mm-hmm. I think there's definitely uh, opportunities to really mm-hmm. make something animated stand out with this. Uh, you could really make it effective in the attack part, but it's also as in, like I, I get all I need yeah. for it to be effective just by the book. So I don't necessarily need to see it happen. Um, Would I watch it? Sure. Does yeah. it need to exist? I don't know. I could also definitely see like in a cool opportunity to bring back those who are still with us that voiced characters on that show to have yeah. them do the voices in it too. It would be a nice touch that would for many of us who adored that series, you know, nostalgic for that. And we appreciate return to that universe to to use those voices but would Um, that be then the best vehicle for that moment that's the thing like then why not just do an episode where they all come back and do what they do as opposed to kind of running it through this prism of the memoir i don't know i'm not saying you're wrong no i i get it and that's like the that's my internal conflict yeah Uh, (laughs) because well if you if i just like all the little nods and stuff back to that time period well, then why don't you just come up with an original story and still use all those voices? Right. Like you make know? it count. And so like, yeah, that's true. So I don't I don't need it. Uh, I would watch it. I would definitely I, watch it. But yeah, I don't, I don't think don't, it's essential. I don't think I don't. I just don't know if this was a route that they would ever go in animation to do a story. You no, know, like I also this. think that's that the, book work, the book works so well as a graphic novel. Mm-hmm. It's a, such a great experience, like works on so many levels, touches so many different things that it's hard to recapture that in a different medium. Yeah. I agree. If you like this, the story so much, then read the original story yeah. straight from the hand of Paul Dini. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex, is there anything like, do you have any final thoughts on the story? No, I think we covered a lot of ground. For me, it feels it's such a unique Batman story. It's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's really a memoir that happens to feature the Batman characters, but don't let that be a reason not to get it. Like you, you, you feel Paul's love for these characters. Eduardo Riso is at the top of his game. You have Todd Klein, who's a great letterer. Uh, Shelley Bond is the editor and she, you know, she worked mostly in Vertigo. So it was neat to see her editorial presence on a Batman book. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's, it's the perfect story if you're a Batman fan, but you're also like not you're you you read outside. I mean, I assume most people that read comics read outside of comics, but it's got a very mm-hmm. literary feeling to it. It feels like it feels like a, a traumatic memoir. That's, you know, a, a human interest story. Like you feel you really feel like you've gotten to know Paul. Um, and that's that's hard to do. Well, and and the fact that Batman and his rogues are in it is just kind of an added bonus. 
Mm -hmm. I love it. I, you know, it's one of those stories that I read every few years and, and find something new to, to love about it. Yeah. Same here. I think it's a very impactful story uh, from, I think one of, I mean, he's in the discussion, one of Batman's greatest writers, I think Paul Dini for sure. Oh, for sure. In, in all, yeah. in all the mediums. I mean, um, yeah. Comics, uh, animation, video games. Like he's, he's succeeded writing Batman in exactly. multiple spaces. And I think as you've said on this a couple of times, he, he gets the characters. Like, yeah. like he just he just gets them. So it's such a it's a, it's an impactful story. It's a very effective story. It's a I mean, odd to say creative story, but it is for what they how they in, include the characters into a real, you know, uh, a I've never seen a graphic. I've had. never seen a book like this. Yeah. And that's saying a lot. Like, I think it's such mm -hmm. a unique approach to using these characters and also cathartic. I mean, I from a publishing perspective, I'm like, what did they have to go through in terms of like you know, legalities and, and, you know, they use Batman 66, they use tiny tunes, they use animaniacs. They use like, it's, it just feels very, it doesn't feel like they skimped on anything, no, you know, just in terms of characters and references and Easter eggs and things like that. And it's, it feels very complete. And um, I hope people enjoy it. I think it's really a fun book. Me too. And I, I think if you've, if you've made it this far in listening and you haven't read this book, we didn't ruin it by talking about it. Not at all. Uh, yeah. Go There's back. No spoilers there. Yeah. Go back, experience it for yourself because it's a book that's definitely worth tracking down. Um, I think it's, I think it's a great one. And yes, yeah, it kind of, as Alex has said too, I do, I do find something um, different to pick up on each time that I read this. For sure. So uh, it's, it comes highly recommended from the two of us. So um, this has been great. I learned yes. a lot about you. That you worked for DC. Yes, breaking blown. news. <laughs> Ten years uh, old, but yeah, yes. there you go. It still, you know, it works. It counts. Um, for anybody listening that doesn't follow you, feel free to plug away. If they haven't heard of your your book that came out this year, Secret Identity, uh, sure. feel free to say, you know, give us the pitch on that. I guess don't read the back of the cover. Um, yeah, no, Secret Identity. Away, yeah, Secret Identity is a comic book noir murder mystery. It's set in 1975, New York City. The protagonist is a queer Cuban-American woman, Carmen Valdez, and she moves from Miami, her hometown, to work in New York and kind of pursue her dream of writing comics. Um, so she takes an entry-level secretarial job at this third-rate publisher called Triumph Comics, um, and she's the assistant to the editor-in-chief, this kind of blowhard named Jeffrey Carlisle. And she keeps pitching him ideas over and over again. And finally, he says, look, there's just no room for you as a writer. I've got a line of friends that I have to keep busy with comic stuff. And I have my own plans for you as an editor down the line. And uh, so she's frustrated. And then she's approached by a colleague, this young associate editor named Harvey Stern, um, and Harvey has been given the assignment to launch Triumph's first female um, starring superhero title mm. um and that's all they know like you know harvey's like well this is all i have and, and I, I don't think i'm ready for it but i know you're a fan i know you've been submitting stuff so i thought maybe we could collaborate on it the catch is she has to do it anonymously because her boss has basically said i don't want you to do this and so she thinks well maybe you know harvey says well if you do it anonymously eventually we'll tell him what's going on and and by then the train will have left the station and he'll you know he'll know that you're working on it um and so they co-create this character called the legendary lynx um it's like a street level vigilante superhero in the vein of daredevil batman mm -hmm. moon knight um and it becomes a hit um and it's it's triumph's biggest hit and the one twist is that harvey ends up dead and so the only person that knew carmen contributed to the character is dead uh -huh. um 
And so she has to take it upon herself to figure out who murdered Harvey so she can reclaim this character that's so near and dear to her and is kind of her doorway into this industry. Um, and interspersed in the mystery are actual comic book sequences drawn by Sandy Gerald, who's amazing, um, of the links. And so you kind of read the story Carmen wrote and how it's drawn by you know Doug Detmer, who's the character, the writer in the novel that draws uh, the artist in the novel that draws the sequences. But um, it's a pretty you know that you can probably tell why I like something like this Paul Dini book is that it's uh, Secret Identity is very meta in terms of like the comic is in conversation with the prose. Um, so it's a fun. I, I liked. I hope people enjoy it. I, it's gotten some great reviews and some great love. But um, that's that's it. And um, I think. You know, it's been out since March. Uh, I hope people dig it if they check it out. And um, yeah, I've got some other stuff coming up. I had a short story in Edge of Spider-Verse number one. Nice. I've got a Superman story in um, the uh, Kal-El Return Superman special, which is coming out in November. That's my first DC Comics work in a long time. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so that's exciting. And I'm writing a, a Spider-Man 2099 and Aranya novel, YA novel that's coming out sometime next year. So keeping busy. Wow, busy. Yeah. Busy man. And you squeezed in the Batman book club. Thanks. For <laughs> yeah, that. no, yeah. I'm happy to do it. I love it. You know, talking about comics is, is the fun stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, social media. I know you're on Twitter. Yes. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Alex underscore Segura, S E G U R A. Uh, my website, Alex And I'm also on Facebook and Instagram at Alex Segura jr. There you go. Follow him. As he just said, there's a lot of Alex coming up yeah. um, in, in our section of fandom. So there you go. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Yes. I really appreciate it. Um, you can follow the Batman book club on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, not as busy as Alex, but there's some <laughs> things going on there at the Batman BC. Uh, you can also um, get, subscribe to the YouTube channel where I'm in the midst of visiting the road to no man's land with my pal, Peter Vera, who you hear a lot on this show. Um, those those conversations are on the YouTube channel, as well as some other stuff that's going to be coming up. If you want to write into the show, I have a very nice email written that I need to share some. Uh, he's given permission um, to share some. If you want to write in with questions or comments or anything at all Batman related, you can do that. The BatmanBC at gmail.com. If you want to support the show, there's a variety of ways you can do that. Patreon.com slash the BatmanBC. Public, where you can buy some merchandise with the Batman Book Club logo uh, splattered all over it. But if you don't want to spend any money at all, that's 100% a-okay. Best thing that you can do is rate and review the show wherever you listen to it. Apple, Spotify, uh, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Google, wherever. Just rate and review the show because the more reviews it, the show gets, the more it helps spread the word. And as we all know, the word is panic. So for Alex Segura, I am Ryan Lauer. And until next time, read my Batman comics. <laughs>